Dr. Amalia Ganyas-Malka. Welcome to Womanity, Woman in Unity, the show that celebrates prominent and ordinary African women's milestone achievements in their struggles for liberation, self-emancipation, human rights, democracy, racism, socioeconomic class division, and gender-based violence. Joining us today in our Johannesburg studios is the Deputy Minister of Public Service and Administration for South Africa, Dr. Kana Pilani Majake. She has held this position since February 2018 and has been a Member of Parliament since 2014. Additionally, she has served as the CEO for the Commission on Gender Equality for eight years and has worked in the private sector. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Dr. Malka. Hello to the listeners. It's such a pleasure to have you here in our studios. To begin with, you've served in numerous roles in your working life, looking at it from a political point of view now through to private sector. Can you share with us a few of the milestones in your career? Well, um, today you called me in for issues of women, but let me tell you that I began with children. Um, some years back in my career, uh, I heavily worked on the rise of children. Uh, I even became the president of the South African Society for Prevention of Child Abuse and Neglect, which is an, a branch of the International Society on uh, Ch- for Prevention of Child Abuse and Neglect. But then when you deal with issues of children, uh, there comes a time when you realize if you don't empower mothers, um, then, you know, your course wouldn't really go too far. You need empowered mothers in order for you to be sure that you will have children that are actually also properly protected. And I'm just saying this when you listen to some of the stories of children who've been abused in, in the presence of their mothers, mothers who are disempowered, who wouldn't be in the position to say no to anything that is wrong that is happening to their children because of just being disempowered. And the mother is such a key role model for children. She's the protector. She's the, the social benefactor. A mother is key in the child's life and maybe a family life, not only the child's life. Uh, families that actually most of the time manage to make it, uh, when you look at it, you find that they have a strong mother. Uh, because of the role that the mother plays just in the life of a family. Um, A mother can be a caregiver, they can be a provider, can be a counsellor, a protector, like you said. They are everything to a child. And you really need to to have a, a kind of mother in a family that can really manage to play these roles. You're right, she wears multiple hats. Multiple hats. So coming out of the children's sector, playing such an important role for for safeguarding their their rights and helping them, how did you then evolve sectors? Uh, I then just developed interest in issues of women, Um, then started joining uh, the women's movement, and that was in the 80s. And started leading the women's movement. I led the NGO forum for KwaZulu Natal to the Fourth World Conference on Women in Beijing in 1995. That was a momentous occasion. Yes, that was a momentous occasion that actually led into so many processes that 
unfolded in, uh, towards advancement of the status of women, not only in South Africa, but globally. Um, yeah, and even within the country, I've been involved with a number of structures. Remember, during the negotiations, we had the uh, National Women's Coalition. I was part of it. I led the KwaZulu-Natal chapter of it. Um, there was in also in KwaZulu-Natal the Women's Chapter, uh, chapter f- um, what do you call it? The Women's Chapter something like that, even forgetting the name. But, you know, it was an organization for women that I actually led. And then um, through the Beijing process, uh, we participated internally as women of South Africa into processes that actually um, led into development of um, policies and legislation uh, that way to empower women, but where we began after Beijing, after government made commitments to the Beijing Platform for Action, was to really make a plea to Tata Mandela to ratify the United Nations Convention on the Rights of Women, uh, which was then ratified and subsequently domesticated. Uh, the domestication thereof actually then became easy with the uh, constitutional democracy that we have Um, because when you look at our constitution as South Africa and you look at all um, sub-regional, regional and international treaties and covenants you realize that they are actually covered wholly almost and I'll say completely by our constitution it's such that it allows such domestication to take place because you know, the one thing that you'd actually observe when you go to some of the SADC meetings, the AU meetings, would be women complaining, but when I go home, our country constitution doesn't actually allow this to happen and mm. would therefore then become difficult for us to domesticate. And domestication is very important because then it articulates into uh, country legislation that would then guides um, women's participation uh, in whatever sphere of life. So looking at the legislation aspect, we've, we've ticked the boxes yes. to say, you know, we've, we've, got, we've uh, adopted this legislation, we've complied with the, the mandates that are coming out of the UN or, or international legislation. So we have everything. Mm-hmm. So then my question is, if we have all of this infrastructure in place, if we have these rights in place, why are we still not gaining we've we've gained fantastically within the political space i mean i, I look across our, our our government and our parliament structures and i think we've probably got about 42 to 44% penetration or rather representation of women i look across cabinet i i see you mm-hmm. i see your colleagues but yet when you go into the business world we're sitting at something like 20% in executive management um we just don't see the numbers of women coming into the workforce on the private sector. Uh, it is indeed a challenge. Um, legislatively, we have a beautiful, beautiful legislative framework around issues of this nature in South Africa, but what is important is how we then implement. Uh, but at the same time, implementation um, also requires the necessary commitment so that whatever happens shouldn't just be a talk show 
but also on the side of the women's movement I would actually say that we've lost gains a little bit uh, in the sense that we put in place um, institutional mechanisms for advancement of the status of women um, like the national gender machinery that we had some years ago uh, that would comprise of the Parliamentary Portfolio Committee on Women. Um, the it used to be the Office of the Status of Women. Now it it has it's has changed to the Ministry for Women, uh, the Chapter Nine Institution, the Commission on Gender for Gender, the Commission for Gender Equality, Civil Society, all coming together uh, to talk about how to drive this process forward. And why I'm actually saying we've lost the gain is because, you know, st uh, structures like the National Gender Missionary died along the way. For one or other reason, I don't know the reason. But what is good is that for now we're looking at how to resuscitate it. Good. Because when a structure of that nature actually dies, it means you actually lose a very important platform where women's issues and the women's voices can be heard. Um, and it has actually disabled to some extent even what you would call the, we call the gender focal points in government departments at, in all spheres of government that is nationally, provincially and locally because we've got to have the gender focal points which becomes offices in every government department that talks to how you mainstream gender. And that mainstreaming would actually also extend to business in terms of how government en engages business because business actually also depends on the kind of legislation that we ourselves develop so that we can guide business but also business itself must be interested because if you can have beautiful pieces of legislation but you find that you have business uh, that's not interested it, it can't live on a piece of paper it's yes. not going to live yes so we need that commitment too from business and you know business of South Africa of course is still very skewed. Not only in terms of um, issues of women, you look at, um, there's a study that the Commission on Gender Equality has, has, has made um, that actually shows that business of South Africa is still in, mainly in the hands of male and white male. So even black males are not yet there. So there's a lot that still needs to be done in terms of the transformation agenda that we have as a country in order for us to realize the goals. Mm. And now putting back your cap as Deputy Minister of Public Services and Administration, increasingly we function in a globally connected society from all of the, the technological infrastructure that we have. Can you tell us about some of the more significant collaborations that you're working on with, with colleagues in the continent or, or across the world? Uh, yes, from public service and administration, there's a number of forums that we are part of um, that actually has got to do with us sharing ideas as to how to run public service globally. Um, what is most important is to look at how we actually modernize public service. Because, you know, with public service, what is important is coming up with a mechanism that actually allows us to provide to our citizens globally and here in the country quality service, effective and efficient quality service. So for, 
for for me as a deputy minister of public service and administration my interest is every service point in the country what type of service do we actually provide at the tail end of the uh, the, the, the the chain whether it's education whether it's health the kind of service that south africans get in hospitals in schools you look at the kind of um our police policing system whether we manage to do it correctly whether victims are protected how we apprehend you go into social development that we in the position to actually provide care for those that desperately need it so that they don't fall through the cracks mm. and now we're doing it correctly at the end of the day that's why we talk about also modernization so that modernization can manage to fast track processes and make processes to be much more efficient so at the end of the day we look at quality and that's why we'll even talk about digitization of government so that processes are connected uh, because within our mandate our also our concern also is to manage to actually use the resources that the country have got uh, effectively if processes are connected then there wouldn't be unnecessary duplication mm -hmm. if information is at home affairs we must manage to as for example social development or police access it mm. without creating systems that would actually give us information that is lying somewhere and that's why uh, digitalization and connectivity within government is so important but also what's important is innovation because we know there are challenges but those challenges cannot be dealt with if we don't have innovative ideas that come to the fore to say in this and that area you can be in the position to for example get rid of the long queues Maybe the long queues are actually caused by X, Y, Z. If we do it the other way around, you're going to find that in no time when somebody comes and they're looking for a service, they get a service and they're gone. No, I think that's fantastic. And it, it, it really fits into a lot of the work that I'm doing in, in a different sphere on, on platform-based businesses, on looking at that interaction, looking at the exchanges mm. where you've got information as, as currency that communicates and connects across spheres. So if you're talking information with police if you're talking mm. information with home affairs it's the same content it's just got the opportunity of being shared Shit. and distributed Definitely. across the services that require it but i guess part of the challenge though on your side is that you've got almost an omni-channel delivery because you can receive a service physically you can receive a service digitally but you've got to be able to provide services in both those forms Plus, there's reaching out to, to people who don't have access to digital elements. So you have to operate at both a, a digital and an analog level. Mm -hmm. Tremendous challenges, but I've seen the efficiencies, I, I have to say, on, on the home affairs side personally. So well done, Deputy Minister. Thank you. Uh, something that I want to ask you about is the, the open government partnerships, which featured prominently on, on your website. And as I understand it, it's a, a multi-stakeholder coalition of leading governments and civil organizations working together. Could you highlight in relation to, to women's issues what this, what this means for women? 
What it means for women is that we're not actually just looking at solutions here at home. Um, we would be interested in looking at the, what we'd call global trends. And that global trends would articulate into what is the regional trend. Because remember, we still belong to Africa. So we cannot, for, a, for example, always only talk about United Nations programs without looking at African Union program and what it, it African Union yes, is actually doing in terms of upliftment of the status of women. So it, and also then being South Africa, it will come to SADC. So at African Union level, um, we've done a, a bit in terms of looking at how to actually uplift the status of women. There is a protocol on the rights of women and that the African Union has actually developed, which guides African countries as to how they can actually um, improve on the lives of women in Africa. And there's also um, a framework on gender equality in Africa that was adopted, I think it was in 2004 in Maputo by heads of states. Is that the Maputo Protocol? Y yes, the one that um, actually makes heads of states to account to each other in terms of uh, improving the lives of women in their countries, um, which is good and it actually demonstrates uh, the seriousness that the African Union itself puts onto um, issues of women. Uh, but also at the um, SADC level, we have the uh, Declaration for Gender Equality. I think it has actually been elevated to a protocol now, uh, which means SADC also is really following suit. Um, and it says to you that Africa has bought into the agenda of actually liberating women, uh, which, which actually is good for me and you being women of Africa to say that, yes, Africa is really serious about it. It's such an important commitment to make, given, you know, I think from a South African point of view, women represent 52% of the population. So either way, across the continent, there's a slight bias in favor of women. So gender equality is critically important. Gender equality is critically important. And that bias in favor of women, it's very important. Like you wouldn't want to promote policies that you know may fail. Uh, we know historically that women were disadvantaged because of the kind of policies that countries had, because of the kind of cultures and religions that they actually were exposed to that were discriminatory and holding them back and the people who were making the policies were inevitably men exactly and really coming up with policies that were not in favor of women and now as we are changing as society is changing and we talk about empowerment of women we talk about advancement of the status of women i'm talking about the bias in favor of women that it's very important because if you have policies that says that we will give equal opportunities to men and women, but women are not ready, you're wasting your time. We need to make women ready. And that's why when we have education programs, for example, we are saying there must be that bias in favor of women. Get more women into the program to be sure that we have women in numbers 
that are ready to go and compete equally with men. Because if you have that policy and you're saying they can now get three equal opportunities, but they can't compete with men, you're going to find that the whole system can never, ever change. So that bias in favor of women, it's a, it's a way of trying to correct the ills of the past, understanding the history that women come from. Coaches are important, but they should not compromise merit. You see, when you talk about numbers of women, we're not saying at all costs, just bring in women. Of course, you need, you need um, exactly. the capability, you need... So, so that themselves can thrive in the positions that they occupy. Now I'd, I'd like you to wear one of your previous caps. Gender equality is a principle we hold dear in the show and we've just had a, a conversation about it now. Previously, you were the, the chief executive officer for the Commission on Gender Equality, which is responsible for monitoring and evaluating policies and practices of government, the private sector, and other organizations to ensure that they promote and protect gender equality. Could you please share with us some of your experiences in that capacity and perhaps some of the the more significant cases which you felt have shifted the gender equality dial? Um, yeah, basically, it's been a good experience um, being part of what I would actually say was a process that you were actually really involved in initiating. Like I talked about how processes were really From unfolding. Beijing? Yes, within the country and recommendation of whatever structures need to be made available so that we can be in the position to drive this course of women. Then we have this chapter nine institution solely focusing on transformation of the lives of women. Very exciting. But in terms of the mandate, of course it was, um, it, it still is very good to realize that the Commission on Gender Equality is the vehicle towards sensitization of the entire country on issues of gender because and it it cannot be a process that ends because on an ongoing basis we need to sensitize the public of South Africa about issues of gender why is it so important that women and mothers must be empowered and one other thing that is also important is really managing to have this vehicle that allows you as a woman if you feel that you've been unfairly treated in whatever respect uh, you have this platform for you to go and actually lay a complaint and you know that they will listen to you and they will listen to you with understanding and not only with understanding so that they can be redressed and when legislation for example in South Africa is developed we know that there can never be any legislation today in South Africa that can be developed that will discriminate against women and one of the vehicles that actually ensures that is the Commission on Gender Equality because when this policy and legislation development processes, for example in Parliament, they will make submissions to be sure that the gaps that exist that may not be considering women will then be, be filled. And the Commission on Gender Equality also did a lot of research research like for example just feminization of poverty so that it helps us as a country to understand um, how poverty actually impacts on the lives of women and what could be the contributory factors to women becoming the majority of the poor of the country so that whatever programs that government develops should actually consider those 
uh, factors in order for the for the factors to be addressed in 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 intent to address the situation of of women the commission on gender equality was actually also very instrumental in in cases that were taken to the constitutional court so that they could actually go and be challenged for their constitutionality like you know in the past we used to have um, what you'd call the primogenital what what was called the primogenital rule there was a case uh, and that is a milestone and it happened during my time the bear matter when of inheritance where the, please, please share the, the young girls in the family had their parents dying and their inheritance was supposed to be taken by the the, the uncle and the matter was actually taken to uh, the the constitutional court and the groundbreaking judgment was actually made that the inheritance must go to the to the girl children uh, which actually then helped because um, the act has had to be withdrawn um, or the sections of that act had to be withdrawn but then also what was important I don't know whether you remember the Shulubani matter of Chief DMC where a woman chief a woman who was supposed to be a chief could not be prov- given her position, her rightful position because she was a woman and the, the constitutional court also made a groundbreaking judgment to give her the chieftaincy the Shulu- that was the Shulubani matter and that was in my time and we did a lot of cases on just advertising with uh, the advertising standards authority because of the kind of manner in which sometimes the media portrays women because for us to actually change the position of women within society how they are portrayed within the media is actually also important and you have to have a monitoring structure like the commission on gender equality that can be in the position to pinpoint whether it's an advert or whatever story as to whether this story actually promotes the stereotypes around women so we've done a lot of those cases um, yeah it has been good working for the Commission on Gender Equality and we participated really in a lot of work that uh, to a large extent managed to help to continue to improve the lives of women in South Africa including going to Beijing 5, 10 <laughs> and 15 you, you know the follow-up processes to the Beijing plat- uh, platform for action that of course has got the, those 12 critical areas of concern and they continue to be critical today if you think of them get the women in violence we're not even we haven't even moved and it's and most of those critical areas of concern violence women and violence women and poverty education economy the environment all of those critical areas, most of them were actually um, put forward by African countries. Um, we're just hoping with the 25-year review that is just about to take place that it will actually then help us to regalvanize our strategies towards advancement of the status of women especially in South Africa, though we are always concerned as to what happens at sub-regional, regional and global level. Well, thank you for, for sharing those those cases. They were really groundbreaking, what yes. you did for the Commission at Gender Equality. And I think they, they set the tone to make sure that there isn't regression because they can always be referred to so that we're 
advancing the issues and those points of of uh, primogeniture mm-hmm. of not being able to take on your chieftainship as a woman mm-hmm. all of these points are so important on on moving gender ahead and when i listen to you recant some of well recall some of the 12 steps coming out of of beijing a lot of those elements are reiterated in the sustainable development goals from equality mm-hmm. elimination of poverty so all of those concerns seem to feed into UN's uh, development goals yes they feed into the uh, the the SDGs they fit into the Africa agenda 2063 they fit into our national development plan as South Africa and the one area that I'm not talking about also is the girl child let's not forget the girl child is part of the 12 critical areas of concern and I've been to platforms where people say, why talk about the girl child, what about the boy child? And I'm saying, this is not discriminating against the boy child. We have to put a lens on the girl child because whatever happens that affects the lives of women begins with them as girl children. And in South Africa, I would actually say a lot of people know that there were times when you find that when a woman figure is removed from the family through death or whatever, you'd find that the girl child is the one that would actually have to take over and maybe that would even compromise her ability to go to school. So if you don't look at the girl child, they will continue to have to be the substitute when the mother actually is removed, the substitute to their detriment because then it means if you are not careful and you don't have a government that actually carefully looks at the situation of the girl child, then that girl child might actually end up maybe not being educated which will be the beginning of more and more problems for that girl child. So the point I'm making is that girl children's situation is equally important to the women's situation. She's going to be the woman of tomorrow. Of tomorrow. We better prepare her as a girl child. We've just had 8th of March celebrating International Women's Day where we reflect on the past and we we look towards the future. And this year's theme was Think Equal, Build Smart, Innovate for Change. In your opinion, given all the tremendous work that you've done in in the various aspects of your career, what areas do you think we need to build on the most to benefit women in the future? I think because we have a beautiful legislative framework is to really manage to have proper vehicles for implementation. And I would actually say so, being coming from public service and administration to say, let every government department that has a role to play, and all of them have got a role to play in terms of advancement of the status of women. We need to see those programs really um, unfolding, being rolled out. Um, we need to see the, the budgets including what will be focusing on uplifting the status of women. We need to see the leaders of government departments, um, like DGs, really taking the bait and running with it and being really serious about a mainstreaming of gender within their department. Managing to disaggregate data when there's data within the department, you must talk to the, uh, the situation of women. Um, so basically there's that and we must actually resuscitate every instrument 
within the country that is about empowerment of women. Like the National Gender the Machinery. National Gender Machinery, the, the focal points. Our reporting mechanisms should actually also be stepped up. You know, the monitoring that's supposed to happen. The frameworks that have been developed must must manage to elicit the, the desired results in the sense that they, they must be responded to because, you know, sometimes you might find that we don't have a total picture because in some areas there's no responses. But we must have those frameworks utilized in a serious manner in a way that would actually help us to manage to quantify as a country information on women so that when we actually put forward a position about South Africa and women, it's an informed position that's based on facts. And today we have the tools to do it. We have all the tools, we've got legislation, we've got everything. It just needs the necessary commitment. Oh, Deputy Minister, we're looking and watching this space eagerly. Turning towards more of a personal perspective, one question that I ask all my guests on the show who've made tremendous achievements in their respective fields of, of expertise and, and career is about what they consider to be some of the key factors to their success. So could you please share with us in your opinion, what have been some of your key drivers? Giving, giving and volunteerism. You know, all this work that I was talking about, that I began with children and, you know, it graduated into all sorts of things and politics and women. It's being ready to actually work without really expecting to be paid back. It helps to develop you as a person. That is a, a wonderful perspective and, and one that we haven't had on the show so previously. So today I'm actually saying let's, let's continue to promote the spirit of voluntarism. As you can see now in South Africa, we've got so many challenges. If we can have more volunteers who are ready to, really, who are ready to go on, on the ground without asking for money, and we know money is important. We live in a capitalist country. Everything is about money. But there comes a time where you find that there's a problem and when there's a problem we must just as communities just be ready to go and participate into in in dealing with whatever challenges we are experiencing as communities the problem remains ours <laughs> yes, yes you're right that's that's what we have to solve within our communities and the values of, of giving and, and volunteerism, I often think that those, those types of values one almost inherits from family values. Could you share with us about your life growing up, some of the, the pivotal moments or, or key people in your life? Well, I was unfortunate because my father died when I was very young, I think five. But I was lucky because I was raised by a professional, a professional nurse. So she's been very key in my life, including my grandmother. Because you know, nurses don't have too much time. There's something called sitting up. I don't know whether you've ever heard I of it. I haven't. <laughs> when they sit up, they go to work in the morning, they have a break during the course. I don't know whether these things still apply. They have a break during the course of the day and they go back like around, I think, three or four and then they have to knock off at seven. I used to hate it so much because then you don't literally see your mother the whole day. 
but like I was talking about my grandmother, then my grandmother would actually come into that gap. Uh, and she's also one of the people that really made a lot of impact in my life. Very go- a, a, a God-fearing person. She would make you pray too many times <laughs> in a day. Um, but yes, it helps to build children when you actually bring them up in the name of the Lord. It sounded like you had a, a strong female environment oh, yes, yes. growing With up. With this dad that passed on when I was really young. And in closing our show today, can I please ask you to share a few words of inspiration or wisdom to young ladies that are listening to us on the continent? Um, they must be themselves, which actually means that they must understand who they are because when you understand who you are, nothing ever sways you to a wrong direction. They must be ready to build themselves. But, you know, building yourself requires that necessary commitment. If you say, I want a degree, you must study. Uh, and there's nothing that beats really building yourself. Um, because when all else is gone in life, you remain with who you are and build that who you are so that it can manage to sustain you throughout life and for the children I normally say to the young girls close close to my myself in my life like if you've got to have a baby are you ready to look after that baby that's where it begins there's consequences to get a man that helps you raise this baby is a bonus so I'm saying they have to actually prepare themselves for life. If you've got to have a baby, because a baby is an additional life that we need to worry about, a woman must be ready to look after it. And you can only be in the position to look after it if you have actually prepared yourself. And they must know they can do it. Nobody must say to them, they are lesser of who they think they are. Because in the journey of life, Sometimes you come across people who really want to put you down. And when you come across such people and you know who you are and your principles of life, it never really puts you down. In actual fact, it galvanizes your energy. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a pleasure having you on the show and for for sharing your, your wisdom. Thanks a lot, Dr. Malka. It's been a pleasure being on your show and all of the best with future rec- uh, recordings. Thank you. Thank you. You have been listening to Channel Africa, The African Perspective, and we have been talking to the Deputy Minister of Public Services and Administration, Dr. Kana Pilani Majake.